right, so excited to get started in this. Uh, you might be wondering about that phrase, I am, and uh, there are seven I am statements in the Gospel of John that we're going to be looking at um, over the next several weeks. Uh, John uh, tells us that he wrote his gospel so that we might believe, is what he tells us in the gospel of John. And uh, the key thing he does throughout the gospel is declare to us who Jesus is. Uh, that's kind of the, the mega theme of John. I want you to believe, here's who you need to believe in, here's who Jesus is, the Son of God, God in the flesh. And one of the ways that he lays that out for us in John's gospel, and his gospel is a little different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's, um, it's a little, little more distinct than his style of writing. And one of the things he does is he records these I am statements of Jesus. And these statements help us know Christ better, help us see him more clearly, who he is, why he came. Uh, they reveal Jesus very clearly to us, as all the Gospels do. And today we're looking at John chapter 6. And so if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. It'll be on the screen for you. And the statement we're going to be looking at from John 6 is where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. So this statement, like the others, reveals something about who Jesus is. That he, for instance here, is the bread of life. And that statement in and of itself is about more than what Jesus gives. It's about his very identity. He doesn't simply say, I give the bread of life. He says, I am the bread of life. He doesn't simply say, I, I give what sustains you. He says, I, he's saying, I am what sustains you. I am what gives you life and nourishment. So today, what Jesus is doing, we're going to see, is he's going to get right at our deepest desires, our deepest needs, and he's going to show us that our greatest need in all of life is him, and that apart from Christ, we cannot truly live, nor can we thrive spiritually. However, just me saying a phrase like, Jesus is the bread of life, for some of you, might just be kind of unappealing. In our culture, a couple thousand years removed, it's a little different, right, to hear, to hear that. Some of you are like, you know, I don't like bread. That doesn't sound exciting to me, right? Well, how about I am the zest of life? That sounds better, right? Like I, I am the whatever your favorite spice is. I am the spice of life, right? That's not what Jesus said, though. He said, I am the bread of life. So if you have a wheat allergy this morning, maybe that's weird for you. I don't know. Um, the potato bread. No, anyway. Um, he's the ultimate necessity of life, though, is what he's getting at, okay? That, that's the core of what Jesus is saying. He's saying the, the ultimate necessity, the basic need that you have is for me. It is him that brings meaning and contentment and peace and life. And without the bread of life, we cannot have true life. Apart from daily feasting on the bread of life, we cannot truly thrive spiritually. That's what Jesus' angle is this morning, okay? That's what he's getting at. So look with me at John chapter 6. We're going to read a lot of scripture this morning, verse 25 through 59. So hang in there, John chapter 6, starting in verse 25. John writes, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now, Jesus had just done a miracle. We're going to talk about that. He'd just done a miracle, feeding of the 5,000, and so they have followed him after the miracle. Verse 27, Do not work for the food that perishes, Jesus said, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Let's pause just for a second here. In the context, as I mentioned, Jesus has performed a miracle of feeding the 5,000 uh, feeding five thousand men plus women and children with only five loaves and two fish. Okay, Only five loaves and two fish. And that miracle showed us Jesus' power to provide. It was, but it was supposed to be pointing past um, the miracle to something deeper. And Jesus gets on the other side of the sea. He's traveled around. And the crowd, they're looking for him. And when they get to the other side of the sea and they see that he's beat them there, right? They're curious. Hey, teacher, when did you get here? And notice, Jesus uses, his, the, op- uses the opportunity here to point something out. But they're seeking him, not because they saw a sign in the miracle that points to his identity as the Messiah, as the Son of God, which is what they should have done, but simply because he met a need. He filled their belly. They had missed the point of the miracle. All they got out of the miracle was this guy can give us bread and make us not hungry anymore. Do some more of that, right? And Jesus is trying to raise their look off of the temporal, their gaze off of the temporal to the eternal. He says, work for the food that doesn't perish. And of course they ask, what must we do? Believe, believe. believe. The work you must do is this, you must believe on, on me. Now look at verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about Him because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does He now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Jesus is saying here, listen, you can't come to me unless God draws you. They're all, man, they're all worked up here, right? Because he says he's come down from heaven. We, we just can't find this believable. And Jesus is saying, in your natural appetite, you won't. You'll never crave the bread of life in your natural appetite. Coming to me is a miracle. Verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread of the, fa the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So after the miracle of the 5,000, when he crosses the others, gets on the other side of the sea, they're in Capernaum, he goes into the synagogue, and he's teaching, and that's where the, the, the greatest portion of this scripture takes place. And it could even be, some scholars propose, that it's possible that the reading that day in the synagogue had been from the giving of the manna in the Old Testament. And what Jesus is doing here, when you get towards the end of this passage, he's already told them they must believe in him. He takes it a step farther and says they must eat his flesh and drink his blood, right? Now, he's already told them in context he's talking about faith, not literalness. And we'll talk about that later, but... The hunger, the hunger and the thirst that he ends, that happens by faith. And he's talking, all these are analogies, they're pictures of, of faith, of taking Christ in by faith. It's metaphorical, not literal, when he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, as we peel back and we kind of step back, this is a lot of scripture. As we kind of step back from it, the first thing we need to know, notice is that there is a danger that you and I face this morning, that they face. The danger of being near, but not knowing Jesus. It's possible to be exposed to Christ and his teaching and to miss the real reason he came. To miss the heart of who he actually is and his purpose in coming. Notice they had seen an incredible miracle, right? They come looking for Jesus, but Jesus calls them out for it. He says, all you really want is another miracle, more bread, and you're missing the meaning behind the miracles. Jesus tries to lift their hearts towards the eternal, and what do they start doing? They start quoting the Bible in. Well, if you want us to believe in you, how about you do some better miracles? How about you do something else? Our ancestors, they ate manna from heaven. Top that one, right? Our ancestors, they got manna. Now, in the Old Testament, God sustained his people. You may be familiar with the story. He sustained Israel while they were in the wilderness for 40 years by supernaturally providing manna every morning from heaven. And they're like, now that's a miracle, right? Do something like that. Now, New Testament scholar D.A. Carson makes an interesting note. Let me read to you. He says, quote, Later rabbis argue that the Messiah would call down manna from heaven. Right? As did the first redeemer, Moses. So there were rabbis that came along that believed that one of the signs the Messiah would do is that he would call down manna from heaven uh, just as Moses did. Carson goes on to note, There is at least a little evidence that such beliefs were not unknown in the first century. If this is what the synagogue crowd means... It is a demand that Jesus prove his messianic status by duplicating or surpassing the miracle of the manna by doing something that the rabbis thought that he should do, not anything that actually Scripture would say. And what Jesus is doing, he's anting up even beyond that. He's saying, call down manna from heaven. I am manna from heaven. In verses 30 through 34, Jesus points out, Moses didn't give the manna. So he starts to begin to correct some things. He says, Moses didn't give you the manna. God did, first of all. The manna was great, and it gave physical nourishment, but the true bread gives life and spiritual nourishment, and the true bread is a person. In other words, what Jesus wants them to see is the Old Testament manna and that miracle was a shadow pointing to something greater. And the greater manna is in their presence. 
After all that, in verse 34, what we clearly see is that they still don't get it. They say, oh, give us this bread, right? They still think it's about the physical. And when you don't really get it, when, you, when you're missing Jesus and, and what he actually came to do, when you miss his real identity and his real pers- purpose, but you're at the same time exposed to his teaching and exposed to his miraculous work all around you, you usually end up trying to use Jesus in some way. You simply want him to, in our culture, maybe fix your issues. Fix my marriage, Jesus. Heal my finances, Jesus. Fix this situation at work, Jesus. Heal this friendship, Jesus. Jesus, I'm lacking success in this area. I'm lacking popularity. I've got some health issues I need to take to Jesus. You name it, right? And Jesus becomes a means to an end. You treat Jesus like a waiter. And you're sitting at a table, and you just bring me more bread. And what you've really missed is that he's not the waiter that brings more bread. He is the bread. And this is what happens when we are in a culture where we're exposed to Christ, exposed to Christ's teachings like we are in the church, If you miss him, you will usually use him in some way. Most people that are involved in church and that attend church that don't know Christ, they don't fail to ever pray. They don't fail to ever attend church. They fail to understand that Jesus is what it's all about. That it's not about simply what Jesus provides. It's about they fail to see the actual beauty and worth of Christ. Because it takes a miracle of God, Jesus says, to see that. Now, this can be us. We can be near but not know him. We can try and use him. We can try and make him a means to an end. But that's not what it means to be a disciple. In verse 35, Jesus makes a very clear and powerful statement about who he really is, what we really need to see. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, but whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And what we see here is the bread we need is Jesus. Jesus says the bread that they really needed was not the physical bread he gave them in the miracle, nor the manna God gave them from heaven that was necessary for physical life, but they needed bread that could give them spiritual life and spiritual vitality. They needed better bread than the manna. And Jesus is saying, I am the better bread, the true bread. Now, I want you to notice three things about this bread from heaven. First of all, the bread of life came from heaven. Now, that's, in, that's important because Jesus says, makes acknowledgement of this over and over, right? Jesus makes the point throughout the passage that this bread is from heaven. It is a person sent from God and that it is he, that it is Christ. As D.A. Carson notes, the most offensive thing Jesus said to them was not that he was bread, but that he was bread from heaven. You'll notice when they get all irritated, how can he say that he is bread from heaven? We know where he's from. We've seen Joseph. We've met Mary. We know his family. How can he say he's from heaven? That's what really perturbed them. But Jesus, throughout the passage, verse 27 of chapter 6, he says, The Father has set his seal on me. Maybe alluding to his baptism where he says, This is my son. He's saying, I have the approval of the Father, the authoritative stamp of the Father that I am his son. I'm sent from him. Verse 29, he says he is sent from God. Verse 32, he said he is true bread from heaven. Verse 33, he says he's come down from heaven. Verse 38, he says, I have come down from heaven at the will of him who, to do the will of him who sent me. And in verse 50, he says, this is the bread that comes down from heaven. You get the point. Jesus is making it clear. You need bread that has been sent from heaven, one sent from God, and I am that bread, the real true bread, and I am a person, not a loaf. Another thing you'll notice is the phrase, I am. I am the bread from heaven. I am the bread of life. Jesus uses this statement all through John's gospel. 
We're going to be looking at it over the next several weeks. It's the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew version God uses to refer to himself in the Old Testament. Jesus uses the phrase without qualification in multiple places in John. John 6.20, 8.24, 8.28, 8.58, and maybe even 18 verse 5. He uses it in the metaphorical sense here, and it's the six other places we'll be looking at. Over and over again, though, he's using this phrase, and John's recording it for us. And Jesus is deliberately recalling God's use of the phrase. And when he uses it without qualification, people really start wising up. But they're start, they start to get the point, because he keeps doing it over and over again, that he's hearkening back to Exodus 3.14, Isaiah 41.4, Isaiah 43.10 and 25. And Isaiah, for instance, God is declaring to his people, this is who I am. And in Exodus 3, he's speaking with Moses through a burning bush, calling Moses to lead his people out of slavery to Egypt. But Moses is scared, if you're familiar with the story. He's scared, he don't know what to do. And he says, what should I, who should I tell them sent me? And if they ask what your name is, what do I tell them? And he says, you tell them I am who I am. See, I, I, you tell them my name is I, I am who I am. God is declaring to Moses that I am the self-existent one not dependent on them or anyone else to defy me. And it will be his covenant name throughout the Old Testament that God uses when he makes covenant with his people. He's telling him, I am the self-existent, promise-keeping God. I am Yahweh. So Jesus, when he uses this phrase in John, he's saying, I am sent from God. I am from heaven. And he's saying, I am God in the flesh. This is in keeping with John's intent of trying to show us who Jesus is. At the very beginning of the book, in John chapter 1, verse 1, in verse 14, John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So whoever this Word was, he is God. And then in verse 14 he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And he spends the rest of his book telling us Jesus is that Word. He is God in the flesh. And what we need most in this life is what Jesus wants us to see, what John wants us to see, one of the things he wants us to see is this. What we need most in this life is not of this world. What we need most in this life is not of the, the here and now. It's not of how we think of things in, in this world. What we need most came from heaven, came from somewhere else, was sent by God, and is in fact God become man. For Jesus to be who he says and to do what he says he can do in this passage he had to be from heaven, sent from God, God in the flesh. Apart from being God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, he could not be the bread of life and give life and vitality and meaning and purpose and all these things to his people. So the bread of life is sent from, it's bread sent from heaven, of God. Secondly, the bread of life gives ultimate satisfaction. That's what Jesus is saying he does. I give ultimate satisfaction. The first thing he says the bread of life does is, you, if you take of this bread, you will not hunger and you will not thirst. Whoever comes to me will not hunger. Whoever believes will not thirst. The bread these people were asking for would still leave them hungry later, just as the manna did. They kept having to have it over and over again. All they could imagine was filling their actual belly. That's all that they could imagine in their minds. But Jesus was offering to fill their souls. But notice, it is he who is the bread. He doesn't simply give things to satisfy us. He's saying, I am what satisfies you. I'm more than the giver of bread. I am bread. John says, 
He alone can fill us and quench our thirst. Jesus says he alone can fill us and quench our thirst because he knows something about humanity. And that is this. For him to say this, he knows something. We are hungry. And not just physically, because he's not talking about physical food. We're spiritually starving. We lack of satisfaction in this life. Our separation from God due to the fall, due to sin, leaves us unsatisfied, longing, hungry, thirsty, craving for deep satisfaction that can only be filled in God. Yet in our fallen self, we never look to God to fill it. We look at all the wrong things to fill it. And our tendency is to look within ourselves, to look to other people, to other things, other experiences, to satisfy our deepest needs and longings. God said of Israel in the Old Testament, His people, right? He says in Jeremiah 2.13, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, hewed out, out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. People do this today. Turning to broken wells to make them, try to make them live and make them thrive. Looking for satisfaction, for fulfillment from other things. People look to positive things sometimes like romance or marriage or family, career, friendship. But none of those things will ultimately fill you. Just yesterday, what, like a billion people or something like that watched the royal wedding, right? I saw the clips. I saw them leave the place, right? My wife was up well early to watch it, but she loves that stuff. But, and people ooh and ah over the service and, and over, the, over the wedding dress and over the, the formality of it. And just, it is beautiful, right? I mean, it's just all the liturgy and, and people just, man, they, they, they just... Get all swept up in it. They talk about how in love. That's one of the people kept saying after. Oh, how in love they look. How, I think the preacher talked about love. And afterwards, everybody, oh, how in love they look. Oh, we loved the ceremony. Majestic and beautiful. And marriage is a, a beautiful, majestic, wonderful thing. And a marriage ceremony should portray that. But even that, even that, even that wonderful God-given institution of marriage is merely a shadow pointing to something greater. As we've talked about in the last several weeks, Christ and his church. Even marriage and family can't fill you. Even love on this earth can't fill you for eternity. Even true love, even your soulmate, even your best friend, you find all of that, it can't give you that lasting satisfaction. People look to negative things too, though, not just positive. They go into things that are not according to God's design, like immoral relationships or drugs or greed or... We take things that are amoral like power and money and we make them, we become immoral the way we use them by making them ultimate, making them idols because we want to be filled. And those things always require more from us. They require us to give, right? For us to sacrifice and for us to give more and more and more and more. And only Jesus is the bread of heaven given for us. Given for us. Who gives himself for us. Sent by God. Come from heaven. God in the flesh that can fill us. Only Jesus brings that satisfaction. The third thing about the bread of life is Jesus says, not only do I give ultimate satisfaction, I give eternal salvation. He satisfies us by being our Savior. He saves us. He redeems us. He makes us His. In verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Verse 47, Whoever believes has eternal life. Verses 48 through 51, Jesus makes it clear that if you eat of his, this bread, you will not die, but you will live forever. Now, in verse 40 and in verse 54, Jesus promises to those who believe that they'll get eternal life. And, that, and then he goes on to say, and I will raise them up on the last day. 
makes both, that statement in both verses. And raising them up on the last day is referring to the resurrection. For the believer, there will be a day where their body and spirit are reunited and glorified, right? In glory. Eternal life is referring to, yes, living forever, but man, it's so much more than that. It's abundant life. It's true life. It's life with God, and it's, it begins now. That's why he says, you'll get eternal life, and I'll raise you up on the last day, because eternal life starts now. It's not just something for later. Jesus said in John 17, 3, he prayed to God, and he says, this is eternal life, Father, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ you, whom you have sent. We tend to think of eternal life as something that begins when we die as a believer. It begins the moment you believe because eternal life is simply this, knowing God and knowing Christ whom he has sent. That's eternal life. And living in light of that is abundant life. The feeling Jesus offers is a forever satisfaction because he is the solution to our greatest problem. Our greatest need is to be given life. And that only happens by knowing God so that we can be reconciled to him. Notice in the text, Jesus reminded them of death at least twice. In the wilderness, they ate the manna and died, Jesus said. And the bread from heaven, you eat of it and not die. Death is a real problem that we can all relate to. But there is a way to die, Jesus is saying, without being dead. That's eternal life. That's salvation. That's when you know God and you're in relationship to him. He can offer this because of what he explains down in verses 51 through 58. He tells them that they must eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. He's referring to the cross. He's referring to his death for us. In verse 51, the latter part of it, he says, The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So he's talking about his death. The bread of life was given for us. He came, laid down his life, gave up his body his flesh, that you and I might live. See, bread is not bread for itself. It doesn't simply exist for itself. Bread is for others. And Jesus came and gave himself for others. It's all in the imagery. And he said, I'm going to be given for you. I'm going to give my flesh for you. I'm going to give myself for you. Talking about the cross. They weren't grasping any of that yet. And this salvation Jesus purchased for his people when he goes to the cross and dies for our sins on the cross and gives himself up for us and absorbs the wrath of God for us, pays the penalty that we deserve, and rises from the dead, that salvation that he purchased for us never ends. It's, it's eternal life, and it begins now and it lasts forever. Jesus says in verse 37, whoever comes to me I'll never cast out. Verse 39 he says, I should lose nothing of all that he, all that the Father has given me. See, once, he says, that's God's will. Once we have this eternal salvation, this life, it cannot be taken away. Because it's been, it was bought. It was purchased. It wasn't about what we did or how we behaved or the choices we made. It was purchased for us. It was bought. And it wasn't bought by us. It was bought by Christ. And no more than Jesus can undie on the cross, you can't lose your salvation. No more than he can unrise from the dead, you can't get unsaved after you've been saved. The question is never, once you're saved, are you always saved? The question is always, are we really saved? Because once you are, it's eternal. It's eternal. We're never cast aside, never put off, Jesus says. Because it's tied to Jesus. And he's the great I am. He's the promise-keeping God. Now, here's the thing about all this, though. We've got to, to experience this. For it to be effectual in our life, we must partake of this bread to live. And partaking, Jesus makes it very clear, is a miracle. 
He tells this crowd who can't seem to get it and get it into their heads and into their hearts who he really is, that on their own they, they won't get it. In verse 37 he says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And then he goes on to say, And I'll never cast them out. But it's only that who the Father, all the Father gives to me will come to me. You say, well, what's he mean by that? Well, he explains a little better in verse 43. Do not grumble among yourselves. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. For everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Jesus is making it clear. It's those who the Father gives him, those who are taught by God, those whom God himself moves upon their heart. It's those who come, and no one comes unless the Father draws them. Quite literally, the word draw, you would, could even say, is not really a strong enough word. Because in the Greek, it literally it means to compel, right? Unless the Father compels you, unless, unless he sends his spirit to move on your heart in power, you will not come to Jesus. Here's the point. Our natural appetite will never lead us to the bread of life. Never. Our natural appetite is tainted by the fall. Our will is tainted by the fall. We absolutely have free will, and it is broken and marred by the fall, and our free will will damn us, but for the grace of God. Jesus says, unless the Father draws, you will not come. Listen, I've never craved kale in my life. I've craved barbecue. I've craved peanut butter. I've craved a lot of things, but I've... Honey buns? Mountain Dew? Never once, Kale. It would take a new appetite for that to happen. And I'm telling you, in our natural state, we will never crave bread from heaven. To receive bread from heaven, you need a heavenly appetite, and that only comes by a miracle of God. And that's Jesus' point. It's his point. That's not some weird theology. That's just... Jesus theology. Humanity doesn't find its way back to God. God pursues us. and God must give us a desire to know Him and come to Him and believe in Him or we would never believe. The Holy Spirit must draw us and convict us and faith itself is a miracle of God. It's all a miracle of God. And people can make false professions and people can make false proclamations and they can be misled by emotion. They can be interested but not surrendered. But you can't truly come unless the Father draws you. And here's the good news. If you genuinely want to come to Christ, that means the Father draws you. Because there's no other reason on earth you'd want to. It's a miracle. If, 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 you, if you want to give your life to Christ, if you deeply desire to believe on Christ, if, if you feel compelled to genuinely cast your life on Christ and all your hope on Christ, that's the work of the Spirit of God because apart from that, you'd never do that. But it's a miracle. And here's the thing. Partaking. How do we partake? By believing. We do have to believe. We have to believe. Verse 36, Jesus said, I say to you, you've seen me, yet you do not believe. These people have been around Jesus, seen Jesus, seen miracles, heard his teaching. Exposure to Christ without surrender to Christ will never satisfy nor save. You can be exposed to the bread of life, but unless you partake by faith, unless you believe, unless you eat, you will not live. Over and over in the text, Jesus calls us to believe. He says, come to me. He says, believe. He says, eat. He says, drink. And all of this, he's calling us to faith. That is the only proper response to what Jesus has done. He calls us to faith. And then when we look back on that, we go, wow, I would have never done that unless God had not drawn me. But in the here and now, Jesus says, look, believe, 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 believe. 
Listen, smelling food never filled anyone. If all it took for you and I to get full physically in our appetite was to get real close to good food and smell it, we'd all be a lot skinnier and richer, right? But it doesn't work that way. We'd just go in the restaurant and say, hey, just sit me near the kitchen, right? <laughs> Would you like some bread? No, just, just sit me near the kitchen. I don't even need, don't, I just let me, let me smell it. I'll be fine. Right? I would dine at the finest restaurants all around the world, right? If all I had to do was, was smell it, just, just sit close to the kitchen. And spiritually, you can come to church and hear the Bible taught and read it and pray and hang out with Christians and try to practice biblical values and join a church, get baptized, take the Lord's Supper. But if you haven't believed for yourself, then you're only sitting close to the kitchen. And that will not fill you nor save you. Jesus is very specific. You must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, they get weirded out because they took it literal. And a bunch of them just stopped following. They're just like, we're out. You know? <laughs> they were like, this was fun, but now it's getting weird. And this is like, is this like a cult? What is this? They had not eyes to see nor ears to hear. And they walk away. And Jesus had already shown that it's figurative. To eat and to drink is to take him by faith. He's already said, come to me. Believe. Right? He's already set all that up. Before he gets to this, that's awkward and weird for them, he's already explained to them what he's talking about. He's using a metaphor. And he's specifically referencing the fact that he would lay down his life and die for us on the cross. See, the gospel of Christ is the only means to spiritual life and true, lasting soul satisfaction in all the world. Only a crucified, dead, and raised to life Savior can satisfy and save. But you've got to partake. You've got to believe. You've got to turn from your sin and place your faith in and when you do that, when you partake by faith, your identity and your life is changed forever. Look at what he says in verse 56. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Partaking of this bread by faith means you will abide in Christ and he in you. Your very identity is changed as you are in Christ. Your life will be changed as he abides in you and it cha he changes you from the inside out. You can't eat this bread and be the same, stay the same. The spirit of Christ takes up residence in our life to help us and to empower us to live out the Christian life. Listen, it's amazing. Someone can tell us that they eat 20,000 calories a day yet weigh 150 pounds and unless they're an elite Olympic swimmer, we would think they're nuts and liars. Right? Say so there's no way you're eating 20,000 calories a day and yet weigh 150 pounds. But people who claim to have partaking of the bread of life of Christ and yet they're the same. There's no signs of Christ in them. No signs of them in Christ. Same appetite. Same desires. No new nature. And we act like, well, they had experience when they were eight. Jesus changes our identity. He changes our life. He abides in us, us in him. When you meet the I am, it changes who you are. And partaking is to be continued. uses a lot of present tense here. Feeds, drinks. Faith in Christ goes on. It's not a one-time thing. There is a place in time where we sit down to eat, where we sit at his table and take the bread of life by faith, but we remain there in that posture for all of life. Now, here's the thing. Functionally, there will be things in this world that can and will draw us away from the table if we're not careful. That although we look to Christ for salvation, we begin to forget that we are to live all the Christian life by faith in him. Notice what Jesus says in verse 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my, my blood has eternal life. Verse 56. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. It's continual sitting at Christ's table, feeding by faith, looking to him calling ourselves back to him, reminding ourselves that only he can satisfy and save. Because listen, 
Believer, you cannot thrive spiritually if we do not stay at the table. If we're drawn away by every whim and every desire and we chase the world's pursuits, you will find yourself deeply dissatisfied in life. And it's not Jesus that got up from the table. It's us. Let me ask you, what table are you feeding at today? Table of Christ. Are you continually looking to Christ by faith? Or have you wandered and looked for satisfaction elsewhere? Invite you back to the table and remind you that your faith is in Christ. It's not in the things of this world. Don't believe the lies of this world that some other things, whether those be good things that you've exalted into ultimate things or bad things that are not according to God's design at all, those things cannot really satisfy. But if you find yourself less satisfied in life, more spiritually restless, you find yourself wandering, might I suggest you need to sit back down at the table of Christ and remind yourself whose you are, who's in you, and who you are in. And look again and gaze again upon Christ. It is through looking upon Him and gazing at Him through the Word that we are transformed. And if you do not know Christ today, know this. He invites you to come, to partake, to believe, to eat, to drink, to look and live. Great church father, Augustine, or Augustine, however you your preference, said, Quote, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Talking about God. How's your heart today? If it's restless today, even you need to partake of Christ for the first time. Or you need to remind yourself and call yourself back to.